I'm thrilled to be here to, um, to talk to Sophie Pish. She is uh, probably Cambodia's best known contemporary artist. His work has been exhibited around the world in major galleries and biennales in Asia, Europe, the United States and Australia. Um, so Pip was born in Cambodia in 1971, which means that his childhood uh, was during those really murderous years of the Pol Pot regime. And we'll be hearing, I guess, a little bit about whether that has left its imprint on Sir Pip and how that might manifest itself Can in his work. Yes. Yeah? Um, his family eventually escaped Cambodia by foot. Uh, because they lived not far from the Thai border. So they escaped by foot and uh, ended up living in refugee camps in Thailand for a number of years before finally being accepted by the United States as refugees. So, so Peep, you landed in uh, the US at the age of 13. That must have been quite a culture shock for you. Yes, it was. <laughs> what was it like? What were your first impressions? Um, we landed in the summer uh, of 1984, so I did have about two months to kind of watch everybody before I had to jump into it. Um, I started school in seventh grade, and so that right there was a bit of a, a tricky thing. Um, I was in school before uh, when I was in the camps, but it was in a Cambodian school, and in a Cambodian school they taught us um, <coughs> mathematics, and writing. So when I went to the US, I have, what, four more courses. So that was also very tricky. And uh, I didn't understand the teacher's uh, English. That was the trouble I had. But I could read a little bit, so I could follow. So. Because your father had taught you a little bit of English. Yes. Yeah, my father was very, very smart. He, uh, when we got to a camp in uh, 1979, he started learning English for about uh, a year and a half. And uh, because there were some people who knew English and then they taught it out of their, their room, basically, their, their, their huts. And uh, so he went to take that. And then basically after about a, a year of that, he started teaching for free, everybody around him, basically all the relatives and everybody. And uh, I took on to it pretty easily because I was nine years old. Mm. Yeah. So <laughs> I could speak, I could speak, I could understand, but uh, I didn't understand the grammar or anything like that. Um, so for me, it was just the right time. Mm. You know, um, they put me in seventh grade knowing that I might do okay. Mm. Yeah. yeah, but it was. <laughs> but I, you know, I took ESL and you know English as a second language. Yeah. So I had to do that first before regular English. Yeah. I didn't do that until high school. So it was still very difficult for you to fit in, though, into absolutely. Yeah. This new I mean, country. I went to Amherst, Massachusetts, and it's uh, it's known as a five college uh, area, and so it's supposed to be diverse, but it's only diverse in the school year and. In the summer, there's uh, very few people that are not my color, so it was a bit difficult. Um, a bit difficult growing up, you know. You know someone who doesn't un understand how to dress, how to walk, how to talk, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. So you went to high school and you went to college and you studied fine arts. Uh, you studied painting. Now tell me about the first painting you remember seeing. Well, uh, the first painting I remember seeing was in the camps, wasn't in, wasn't in school, um, back when I was uh, 10 years old or something. Uh, it was uh, done by a, a neighbor, you know, friend, a neighbor, um, and uh, it was a landscape, a Cambodian landscape. And uh, I remember that painting for the rest of my life, just a small little watercolor. And uh, in fact, when I was in school, I wanted to be uh, what my father wanted me to be which was what he wanted to be, he was a doctor. So um, he did everything he could to uh, steer me away from any art at all. Uh, my, I love my father, he's an amazing person, he's got his own history that uh, many people will, will never believe. Um, but one of the things he told me to, to, to not do in school was to take art. <laughs> well, not, to not, to, to not just not take, but not be in life, uh, was to be an artist. A writer, musician, philosopher, and a couple others, I can't remember. But, Why was he so opposed to that? Uh, I guess, you know, growing up in the way, he, the life that he lived, um, uh, would be obvious to him that those things are not useful. Um, so, <laughs> uh, my father was a monk, 
uh, that's how he's got his uh, 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 education. And then the, he was an assistant to uh, a nurse, and so he became a nurse during the Lanol uh, period, which is uh, the pre-70s uh, period. And uh, he was uh, actually a, um, a nurse uh, for the army. And uh, so he's, he's in, in, in his way of understanding uh, the world is, is that uh, one, you become a monk, and two, you become a doctor. And uh, you'll be okay if you can get those two things correct, you know. And uh, I didn't become any of that. <laughs> Which he regretted for a long time, for a long time. Yeah. Uh, um, but he forgave me now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. thank goodness for that. <laughs> but, he, but he actually taught you a lot of things. He did, Your yeah. father. Uh, which, of course, has come back in your artwork these days. Um, but perhaps we'll talk about that a little later. Uh, I, I wanted to um, just follow very briefly the little biography, you know. So you, so you, you studied um, art at I studied pre-med. I studied pre-med up until I had to finally say to myself, I can't be a doctor, uh -huh. which was a junior year in, high, in, in college. Then I, I switched to art. You switched to art, yeah. but you'd known. Was it since you saw that first painting that knew you? You knew you wanted to. Be I knew, but I, I try to lie to myself. Yeah. You know. Yeah. <laughs> if I were good at, at medicine, I would never give up. <laughs> but I just, you know, I didn't, I didn't. No, yeah. it wasn't for me. Yeah. Mm. And then eventually, you, uh, well, you become an artist. You graduate. You become an artist. It was very tough for you um, in America. Yes. And eventually you, do, you made the decision to go back to Cambodia. So what prompted that decision? There was a bunch of circumstances that happened, uh, but I think uh, I live in my head most of the time. And uh, what my head means, uh, I'm always living with this memory uh, of my childhood. And uh, I, just, I just think there was something in there that can come out in some way. And I wasn't willing to just put on another coat and uh, become somebody just by prescription. I, I wanted to, there was something else, you know, inside. And, uh, uh, but at the same time, I had a rough life in, in Massachusetts, you know, after I graduated for two years. Um, uh, I don't know, I didn't have the right friends, I didn't live in the right city, who knows? And uh, finally I just said, uh, I gotta what, go, I gotta go back. In what way was it rough? What, hmm? what do you mean it was a rough life? Um, you can't be an artist. Uh, when your parents are living in, uh, uh, in a government-subsidized uh, uh, um, home and uh, working in a factory 15 hours a day, six days a week, you know, that's overtime plus regular time uh, to, to, make, to make a living. Um, it's, it's, the guilt is, is, is impossible to, uh, to handle. Um, and I myself, I was working in different jobs that were just completely meaningless, and I was going crazy. Mm. And so I drank too much and I smoked too much. And, well, I continue that, but, uh, <laughs> but it helped me, you know, when I found the right place to be. Yeah. So, um, and I, well, you know, the story was that I, I was working as an interpreter, and, um, and so I had to drive all the time, everywhere, and I'm a horrible driver. I don't know directions. I can't tell you left, you right. You don't fit a terrible stereotype here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm lost all the time on the highway. And yeah. one time my friend called me up. She said, uh, where are you? I said, I'm on the highway. She said, oh, are you lost? I said, yeah, well, of course I'm lost. I'm, you know, I'm always lost. She said, well, do you know why? She says, and I, I said, I don't know. I'm not good with directions. She says, no, because you should be in Cambodia. Yeah. And uh, she knew. I mean, she was very spiritual. <laughs> uh, she's a spiritual person. And so on the way back, the same day, on the way back home, uh, driving back into Boston, I, um, uh, I, I listened to college radio, and um, there was a Cambodian rock song that was on. And I, I just, I, I almost cried. I just said, well, if this is not a sign, I don't, I don't know what, you know. They play one song, and they say, this is a new album that they just found. It's called Cambodian Rocks. Some of you might know it. And they played this amazing song, and uh, I said, I got to get back, because if, if Cambodia is coming to America now on the radio, then it must be okay, you know. <laughs> so I bought a plane ticket two weeks later, and I, I was gone. Wow. So 2004. 2002. You, yeah. 2002, yeah. you went back to Cambodia. Yeah. Another culture shock, I imagine. Yeah, yeah. What did your father think about you going back? They hated the idea. Yeah, they, hated, they, they, they were scared for me because I had beard, I had long hair, I 
you know, I, was, uh, I wasn't looking right, you know. And uh, so they told me, finally, you know, they asked me a lot of questions. I can't remember all of them, but um, finally they just said, okay, fine. If you want to go back, please just change your glasses, cut your hair, and shave your beard. <laughs> and, uh, and find some new clothes. Um, he said that if you're going back as an artist, you're going to have a hard time because, uh, you know, the country is not ready for you. Uh, they want help, they need help, they need people that are going to be beneficial for them and, and uh, I'm sorry to say but art is not it, you know. And I s almost believe him, I, mean, I didn't care, but uh, I, I, I thought he had his reason. Um, but when I came back I fell in love with the country. It was completely broken. It's nothing like now. If you go now you wouldn't, you wouldn't see what I saw in 2002. It was, people, were, people were taking baths outside their uh, balcony you know, uh, I live on the third floor. It was, it was romantic. <laughs> I can't describe it any other way, I think. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. You mentioned a little bit about your childhood memories being strong. Mm. And I'm thinking you were very, very young then. What could you possibly have remembered? Why? I remember everything. So? Yeah? Yeah. I remember everything. Because I have all the time to remember. Um, I didn't have distraction. I, every day was current to me, you know what I mean? Like I had nothing, nothing to block me. Everything I saw, I live every day. So I move around, I live in fear, I live in hunger, I live in, I still smell the food, you know? You know how when you're so hungry and then you eat for the first time, I remember exactly what that smelled like. I remember, I remember and my mother would come to see me in Cambodia and she tells these stories and say, yeah, of course I remember that, I remember that. And I tell her and she was amazed. Mm. I remember things before I was three, and she doesn't believe it. Yeah, yeah, she doesn't believe it. Yeah, but I believe. I, I, I yeah. yeah, pretty amazing. Yeah. So I mean, all, all those things I think were part of the things that was pulling me. You know, I didn't know it, but it was part of the things that were pulling me back. Yeah. Mm. So we're back in Cambodia. Mm. <coughs> um, you were still painting at this yeah. point, yeah. but you started to experiment with other. Art yes, I started taking photographs because yeah. it was easy. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, but I'm very no, fascinated really, to hear about how you went from that to this beautiful work that we see mm. here, uh, making sculpture with rattan. How did mm. you come to this form? I, uh, I was desperate. I, uh, nothing I made at the time mean anything to me. Uh, I felt like after I made it, it was empty. After I made it, it was empty. and. Uh, it didn't feel like it was mine. It didn't feel like it was part of me. It felt like always uh, this struggle. And uh, I said, when is this going to end, you know? And so it wasn't like I knew what I was going to do. It was uh, an accident as well. Um, I, I said, well, I'm smoking too much and I'm drinking too much. And I, I think that's going to affect my liver and my lungs. And uh, so I start to think my body, I start to think of, of my inside. And, uh, so that pre-med training didn't go to waste then, it didn't. you that much? It didn't, it didn't, yeah, it didn't. And uh, I started making a pair of lungs and I asked around, I said, how am I going to do this? Uh, somebody else maybe can do it for me. But I wasn't, because I was trained in the U.S., I knew that people hire people to do their art. And... Um, <laughs> And then the reality was, I didn't have any money. And I didn't uh, have any skill. So a big, a big problem, you know. Um, then there was a rattan shop just across the street. They make rattan chairs and couches and baskets and whatnot, so. Oh, so you mean your original sculpture was going to be like a stone sculpture? Yeah, right? yeah, I don't know, so typically, you, you know, skills, typically. Yeah. Um, stone was heavy and expensive and wood and yeah. you need chisels and all that, yeah. so. I just bought some rattan and I said, I'm just going to make it out of rattan real quick and so that I can cover it with cigarette, cigarette packages, you know, symbolizing the idea. smoking. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so I did it. I tried to do that. Um, and then the French Cultural Center director uh, came to see me before I finished with the, completely uh, covering it with cigarette uh, packages. And he told me uh, that it was the most modern sculpture I've ever seen in Cambodia and I should really look at it before I decide to cover it all up. So it took me a while. I had, to, I had some debate with people, with my girlfriend at the time, with myself, and, and finally I thought he was right. So I, I kept it that way, and, um, and uh, well, he respected that, and he liked that, and he gave me uh, some assistance to, to continue. So that's how my life changed. 
So that was the first piece of contemporary sculpture in Cambodia. He claimed that. I, I didn't. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty. I cool. hope he's right. No. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll go with that. We're, we're happy to go with that, aren't we, Jean? Yes. Yeah. So that was the beginning. That was. Uh, yeah. yeah. And looking at it, uh, at your work, it's so um, intricate, mm. and. We were chatting yesterday about that very first piece you made, and because you were going to cover it over, mm. and you were working in a hurry, mm-hmm. you actually just sort of whacked it together. I wing didn't it, you? yeah. I did it in a day or two. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I didn't have time anyway. Just didn't and you have said you time. were cutting up the bits of rattan on a cutting board. On in a kitchen. cutting board with a with a with a butcher knife and, a, and an axe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I didn't know how to tear the rattan. My assistant now they tear the rattan beautifully and they shave it beautifully. I yeah. didn't know what to do. I just, yeah. 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 But this idea of of making things. Um, mm. of using your hands. Mm. This is something that harks back to the influence of your father. Exactly, yeah. Can you tell yeah. us about that? When we were, you know, 1975 to 1979, my father always, even when I was younger than that, when at that time I was, uh, what, uh, four years old when the marriage took over. But, uh, everything that he does, he wants me involved. I was the oldest son, obviously, the favorite son because I'm the, I'm the first one. Um, and he wants me to learn everything from him my father really, all his life, trying to mold me into the person that he, he, he is and he couldn't be also. Right? So he became a metalsmith during the Khmer Rouge, and uh, I would help him make things, um, you know, filing a spoon. We had to do, my, my father was the, 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 uh, the village um, uh, hardware person, mm. the village metalsmith. Uh, we, we made buckets, kettles, pots, uh, spoons, you know, the Chinese soup spoons out of tin out of aluminum, mm-hmm. um, and uh, we even casted our first spoon. We casted spoon, yeah, making a, you know, these things you have to make the mold. So you have to carve the wood to make the negative and the positive, and uh-huh. to put, the, to put the, to, to, the, the, the aluminum there, and you have to hammer it. So you do all this thing, and uh, it wasn't like you get a mold and you make and you just press it. No, you have to carve it out and stuff. So I did what I could being so young and little. I'm a small, small boy at the time. Yeah. Still small now. <laughs> Yeah, so that, that stuff, I think it just, you know, it brings back joy in, in, the, uh, in making objects. But your point about being it, uh, it being, um, what is it, a meticulous or crafty yeah, or something? Yeah, um, meticulous work yeah. In, in your work these days. You know, days. I, I did that because I just didn't know, I didn't think I had any ideas. So if I'm going to make something, I better make it well, because if they're looking at ideas, they're not going to find anything, so... If they're looking at the work, at least they can say, well, it's well done. <laughs> no, honestly, that's how I thought. Yeah. I still think that. Yeah. Yeah. It saves me. <laughs> that's why I don't get too complicated. You see, you, you see the work, it's very simply made. So your first sculpture was a, a, a set of lungs. Yeah. And in fact, a lot of the early work looks a lot like Body parts, internal yeah. organs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think one of my favorite pieces is a, a womb. Is yes, it? the womb, the echo, yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that echo piece is a second version. People like that piece so much. I wasn't particularly crazy about it, but people liked it so much, I made three of them. <laughs> in different years, because they said, oh, come on, just make one, just make one more. I said, oh, okay, I'm poor, you know, I'll do it. <laughs> so, yeah, this is like the second version. Then there's another third version somewhere. Yeah. Um, but the first version was during that first time, during that first three months of making sculpture. So this is one of the early pieces, yeah. When you make a piece, can you, can you run us... I don't, I don't want, need a step-by-step how-to-make mm. sort of thing, but I'm just interested in the process of how mm. the thing is, is done because I imagine... Uh, I wonder how the idea and the shape and the form of the work changes as it's being made. Right. Uh, the process is very slow. This is why I have a lot of assistance now because um, the labor that goes into preparing the rattan and the bamboo is very, very slow, very time-consuming. The bamboo, we used to go out and cut ourselves uh, because, uh, well, because I didn't know they sell bamboo that I could use. And anyway, my guys always wanted to go cut the bamboo because it's, it's a time that we don't spend in the studio. You know? <laughs> um, but the rattan, we, we order it from uh, uh, basically a middleman and it floats down from up north the river, and uh, you split it and then you boil it in oil, in diesel oil, diesel gasoline, um, 20 minutes each time, and, uh, and then you split it, it's, it's very tough, it's very tough to, to work with the hand, I can't do it now, because I, I, I do the butcher knife thing, it will take forever, 
And so I have a group of guys that just sit there and just do that. That's how they learn. That's like an apprentice mm. stage, you know. Mm. So there's only a couple of guys that are actually making the things with me. The rest of the guys are really doing the preparation. And you come up with your idea, the shape, the form? Oh, it's, you know, um, it just comes. I don't know. I read, I, read, I, I read books. Sometimes I dream about it. Sometimes it just comes. And sometimes it came 10 years ago and it's just coming now, you know, to real life, you know. Um, I doodle it. I write it down. You know, what do artists do? Be interesting to have a program called What Do Artists Do? <laughs> um, I used to ask my friends who were so much smarter than me, how do you get your ideas? And they tell me what I'm telling you right now. <laughs> we sit around. <laughs> That's not that simple. I don't think so. Yeah. I think you're making it a little simple. Yeah. But you were saying the other day that artists always struggle with their materials. Yes, I think the material fights you all the time. Uh, painters will tell you that, sculptors will tell you the same. I, I happen to love the material because it, it's something very, uh, very physical about it. I love the smell of it, I love the bending of it. I love the way it fights me, I love the way it listens to me. Uh, I love the way it doesn't want to do what I want it to do, so it changes the shape that I, that, you know, I wanted to make it this way, but it doesn't want to be that way, so. Uh, and then through that new little new little technique uh, uh, happens, and uh, if it seems reasonable to keep, you keep it. If it's not, you don't. You know. Um, so my steps are very small. They're very incremental, but they're very small. I go backward, forward. I don't have any t sense of time with my work. Uh, you could see my work now. It's shown now. It could be done now, or it could be done ten years ago. I don't have any idea that there's a progression. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm. Techniques the same. Uh, I keep it the grid, I keep it very simple. The wire is very efficient. Uh, we tie it just one way. There's not too many ways unless it needed to be. Chances are it doesn't. To tie a grid together, you only need to do it a couple of ways. And if you do it right, you do it right and it's the strongest. That's what we want. If you do it this way, this way, this way, then it bends. If you do it this way, then this way, then it stays the same. So it's kind of, you know, uh, it's, it's, it, it's not a very strong material by itself, but altogether it's very strong. It's very hard to break them. Yeah. Hard to destroy, I try many times. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Unless you take a knife or a scissor and cut yeah. it, you cannot destroy it. Yeah. Did you willfully try and destroy it? Were you I, frustrated with a piece? Uh, yes, at one yeah. point I was. Uh, I was making big sculpture because, again, I don't have ideas, so sculptures tend to just get bigger and bigger. <laughs> I just wait, you know, because uh, if I make small things, it means I need to make, need to make so many works a, a year. But uh, I don't have so many ideas, so I make big things. <laughs> no, it's true. It's really true. And at that point in my life, I was very poor. And when I started making these sculptures, you know, on the one hand, I found a sense of um, freedom, a sense of independence, and, and a kind of love for the material and for art, you know. But at the same time, nobody understood it. So people say, well, I could buy your paintings. But I, I said, I'm not painting anymore. And uh, they say, well, I don't know then. You know, I don't know what to do. And uh, so I stored on a rooftop and I had to move around a few times. And, um, and finally I said, well, it's going to die up there anyway. I might as well help it, you know. So I tried to burn it. It wouldn't burn. Mm. Yeah. I put socks, shoes, clothes, fabrics, gasoline. I just light it up. And uh, it just burned little holes in it. But after the socks is gone, there's just a little hole. It doesn't spread all around. So I'm glad I didn't go overboard and burn the whole house down. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You're, I've been reading about, uh, since you talk about big sculptures, I've been reading about a big um, sculptural installation that you did originally mm. for the um, Singapore Biennale, Biennale yes. um, or biennial, um, called Compound. Yes. And I'm interested in this because... Um, your memories, your childhood memories and your history um, is, is a part of your work, but you're a contemporary artist and I was curious to know what are the contemporary concerns that, that show themselves in your work. And um, I believe in this one there is sort of the link between the past and the present. Uh, mm. Can you tell us a little bit about what drove that, that work? Because it's recently been shown again in Seattle and, and in New York earlier Because it's, it's too big, nobody wants it again. All right. <laughs> but, and, and, uh, yeah. Um, when I made the, an installation for APT, uh, uh, 2000, 
nine APP. Asia Pacific Triennial, Asia Pacific Triennial, Triennial in Queensland. In Queensland. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, I made uh, a group of uh, sculpture that basically chronicle a brief history of, of my life, like basically in 1979 at the, at the fall of the Khmer Rouge. We travel from the Khmer Rouge village back to the, the Barambang, the center, the, the provincial, the town center, where all the economics and the, the big buildings were. So we live always in a farm, so we walk. And uh, it took us about, I don't know, five days, seven days, something like this. And I saw a lot of, just a lot of things in the landscape, a lot of, a lot of dead people, a lot of dead cows and animals and tanks and airplane parts and so all this stuff, this war stuff. And so when they invite me to do the a APT, I, I say, well, I should do something of my own, you know, something personal because or else uh, no one's going to see me, you know? So they need a story or something. That's what I thought. Um, and I started making bombs and, and bomb shapes and, and things like that. So part of that sculpture is bomb shapes. A part of, uh, of it is uh, cubes and uh, cubes uh, because it's a challenge to make cubes this way, you know, to build a, a cube, mm. to make it uh, perfect and so that they sit together well, so that they fit together in a straight line. It's very difficult to do when you're building the cube from nothing. So those are the two ideas. So at the same time, I was interested in the challenge of making a cube, um, not to show a cube, but to perhaps possibly have an idea around it. And then these bomb shapes. And I was working on this uh, installation, just finished the installation. And then I thought, oh, bombs and buildings. So I put the two together. That's how that sculpture come about. So bombs to symbolize destruction and buildings to symbolize building and progress and cities and civilizations and so I don't think it's a very well, well formulated idea but I think if again if I make it big enough people will be drawn to it <laughs> <laughs> well it's clearly worked yeah. you know, people keep showing it I hope so, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> well one of the biggest pieces in this um, exhibition is the Buddha mm. and um, of course your know, Angkor Wat's probably the most famous your tourist attraction is in our flag yes it's yeah. Just, uh, the yeah. Uh, and so I'm wondering, is there a place, what, what, what is the place of spirituality in, in your work? Why Buddha? Oh, it isn't Buddha. Um, it isn't. No, no, not at all. I, I, I think my, my space for spirituality is, uh, is silence. It's working in, in quiet. That's, that's where I think if it exists at all in me, it's, it's there. It's when I'm working. Um, it's that battle between the, the, the work. That's where spirituality is for me. I don't have any sense of religion or anything like this. Philosophy is another thing, but uh, you know, I also read up on different philosophers and, and things like that. But um, actually, the Buddha was born out of that installation I was telling you about for APT. Uh, the loose strand Buddha uh, happened because um, after I make all these bombs and and a few other you know things in, in the landscape, I said this is still not enough. I don't know. I need something else. I need something to conclude this story because if it's just a bunch of things straying around, don't doesn't do anything. So I thought about the end of that journey where my family, my father mainly, decided to settle uh, down uh, in front of a temple on a river, um, away from people and stuff, and, but near the farm, near the river, so he can fish, so he can uh, take a buffalo out to the field. I take the buffalo to the field. And we go through the temple ground every day, and, um, and even if we go into the ground, of the, uh, we go into the temple itself, uh, uh, the sala, um, which is the, the temple hall that people chant and pray and all that. And, but we walk in there, and we, meaning me and my cousin at the time, and, um, and there was all these blood stains you know, on the temple walls and splattering everywhere. It was like a white room with all these stains on it. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, that memory never left me. Um, that temple is, is shut. I don't know if they repainted or what, but it's a very old, old temple. It's still there, still standing, but it's, it's, they closed the door to that temple hall. Um, so I thought to symbolize my, the end of that journey with that end of the journey, which is the temple. And, uh, and I thought I couldn't build a temple, I couldn't do a sculpture of a temple and just put some paint on it. It just didn't make any sense. So I thought the Buddha was a perfect example, a perfect icono, iconographic uh, symbol for the temple. And so I started with the head, and then I come down to the shoulder, and I thought, Oh, I think this is my Buddha, you know, this is my Buddha. So the stand still stays loose, and I said, this is still not enough, it needs something. So 
I said, you know, I wanted to do the blood. I want to just put a little blood in there. So I dipped, I dipped the ending, the strands, the strand of the, the ending of the strand about this long. Uh, I dip it in um, uh, India ink, red India ink. And I hung it on the wall and it was perfect. Mm. You know, it was just, wow, you know, I couldn't believe it, yeah. And uh, it was one of those moments, like, mm. uh, it's like everything has opened up. And then um, I thought, okay, this is interesting. And uh, some years, a couple of years later, I thought, well, I've done my own Buddha, why don't I do another person's Buddha, you know, and see what happens. And uh, so I just, you know, I usually live uh, above uh, from an artist uh, who sells uh, sculptures uh, of the Buddha and other sculptures. So I bought one and it's in my room and I said, well, what's wrong with making a copy of a copy? And then just, <laughs> you know, just see like, just see what happens, you know. And so... And it's, it, it's very disciplined. You have to really make it right, you know, because you can't kind of make it up because it's there in front of you and uh, everybody knows that's how it looks. Yeah. So, so, yeah, it became a very big thing because my, my ceiling was only allowed to me to make it that big. So that's why I was that tall. It could uh-huh. have been bigger. <laughs> <laughs> and, and fortunately, you were able to move it out. <laughs> exactly, yeah, yes, yes, yeah. no problem. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I would hope now that you are so successful, your, your, your father's changed his mind about whether it was a good idea or you, not you know, for you the, to be an artist. The first show I had in the U.S., I didn't ask them to come because I think there was nothing for them to really see. And, uh, and it was my big show, but I didn't ask them to come. And then the second show, because, of the, because I had some success after that, and then the second show I said, oh, Mom, Dad, you should come. You, know, you should come. I fly you over. I put you up in a nice hotel. You come. So they came, and uh, they love it. Yeah. They love the Buddha mainly. If it wasn't, if the Buddha wasn't there, I think it was. Uh. <laughs> it would have been like, when is the Buddha coming? You know? So uh, from that on, time on, I think they they're very happy. Yeah, different people now. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, I think we um, we need to have some questions from the audience. I wanted to leave some room because I'm sure you have lots of questions for Sophie. And he's, he's open to it. He said, bring it on. Bring it on. So, um, <laughs> so if, if you do have a question for him, please. Oh, here we go. Yes, ma'am. I'm so interested in the um, art scene on the ground in Cambodia. I think we should get some uh, microphones because otherwise no one will hear the question. Here we are. Just at the front, so almost at the front. <laughs> Thanks. I'm so interested in the... Is it on? Yes. I'm so interested in the art scene on the ground in mm. Cambodia. I know nothing about it, um, particularly with um, contemporary artists. Mm. Could you tell us something about that? You know, when I first, when I first got to Cambodia at the end of 2002, um, quickly I tried to find out exactly that, you know. And uh, there was an art school. There's still an art school. There's still only one art school in Cambodia. Um, Yes, uh, there might be one in Siem Reap that I don't know about, but then in Phnom Penh is only one art school. And a lot of the teachers uh, uh, survived the Khmer Rouge, and they, they uh, went to places like Russia and um, Vietnam and maybe Czech Republic and some other you know, communist uh, states and, uh, to study. Then they came back and they, and they teach. Um, but it's mainly uh, iconic things that they painted, uh, mainly Angkor Wat, mainly landscape paintings, things that were done before uh, the end of the Khmer Rouge. I mean, things that were happening in the 60s. Those were the paintings. Nyak Dem, um, uh, who's Dala? Where's Dala? Yes. Nyak Dem's, Nyak Dem uh, Dala's uh, uh, parents uh, lived in Cambodia in uh, uh, the late uh, 60s uh, and uh, had uh, a portrait painted by Nyak Dem. Nyak Dem is our symbol of art, in a way. So after him, everybody wanted to copy him. So that was a standard of painting. When I came back, uh, that was still going on again, right? It's just almost like three starting again. Um, but there were a couple of young artists that were working. Um, and uh, now, um, because of some successes of myself and a couple other people, uh, there are more traffic that goes into Cambodia. And uh, so, uh, uh, and uh, there's a couple of galleries that opened up. Um, again, very low key, very basic, very basic uh, infrastructure. Uh, all kind of uh, independent, no government help or anything like this. So it's coffee shop or it's that one gallery and the French Cultural Center is still there, but they, they lose the, the seriousness as they were when the director that took care of me 
when he was there. Uh, oh, oh boy, <laughs> going to get in trouble for saying that. Um, but yeah, they're, they're, they're young artists now in their 20s. Um, that seems uh, serious, um, but I think that they are going away from sculpture and painting and they're going to new media because um, uh, the technique is already there in a way, halfway already. Yeah. All they have to do is come up with subject. So I think, uh, I don't think it's easy, but I think that's what they're gravitating to now. Is there another question down the back? Just wait for the uh, microphone, if you don't mind. Oh, oh I can hear. I can speak loudly. <laughs> All right. Um, so here, thank you. Um, just sort of to follow on from talking about the contemporary art scene in you and Cambodia, you mentioned that uh, your father wasn't very happy with you being an artist. Um, yeah. And I wonder whether that had something to do with like, the status of artists in Cambodia. Um, and whether you could possibly talk to the status of artists in Cambodia today. Has it changed uh, since you've been there in the last decade? Uh, is it changing now? Uh, yeah, um, I hope it's changing. I mean, it, it appears that it is, uh, but not from the inside. I mean, not from the people that live in Cambodia. I mean, there's a few more... There's a few people that appreciate art, truly, and they go and buy art. Um, but there's, um, uh, going back to my father, how he discouraged me, uh, one of the things he said was, uh, I know this guy, uh, and he's a great painter. And a great painter, I tell you how great he is. He said, he said this guy can put three dots on a canvas. And you know what it looked like? I said, no, three dots? He said, it looked like a cat running. And you know what happened to him? Nothing. <laughs> so, can you make three dots and a cat running? Um, it's a very hard thing to do. It's a very hard thing to, to, to have a life as an artist. But coming back to the young uh, kids now that uh, some of them have graduated from the art school, I think they have hope, you know, um, because uh, the world has opened up to Cambodia. Or Cambodia has opened up to the world, rather. Um, and uh, they, uh, they start to appreciate reading. I even told by a good friend of ours who wrote for the catalog, Erin uh, 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 Gleason, that even some of her artists are starting to read English, something that I was a big fan of and uh, got into several arguments about this. But there's this sense that uh, somehow if you start to read art history, it will pollute your mind, or if you start to learn another language, and read what the, the, those languages uh, tell you uh, that will pollute your authenticity and all this kind of stuff. I don't buy into that at all. And uh, I try to encourage people to, to read and, and see out of, out of, out of ways. And people, people think they can be an artist overnight, which is not really possible. Uh, certainly not for painters. Definitely not for painters. You can't just make yourself up as a painter and then start making masterpieces. And so that's part of the reason maybe I discourage them to, to continue painting. Maybe I just pick on them so much that they just start, no, I don't want to be in your world, maybe, I don't know. Um, but photography is, um, yeah, they're doing some interesting things, installation, interesting things. And then there's some couple of kids who went to uh, 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 France to study and they learned how to draw. So I know one artist that uh, have a good future ahead of her, um, Yim Lin, a uh, very, very, very good artist who, who loves drawing and painting and, and, and has a strong mind. So um, I think authenticity is very important, but it doesn't really, authenticity doesn't mean you have to be Khmer, you know. You just have to be, you just have to know what you're responsible for, that's all. Yeah. I found that absolutely astonishing that you don't read or open yourself up to the world because it might pollute your mind, it expands your mind. It, yeah. it, it, it's like the absolute opposite exactly. of what it does. Exactly. As far as most people hmm. are concerned to look for education, it doesn't take away from you, it adds to you. So yeah. it's a strange... No, there are people who think like that. It's a strange... I've never heard of anybody yeah. who sees... Absorbing yeah. things as harming themselves. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Don't, don't I hear people. It feels like I hear people say, around. "Why should they learn English? They should just learn their own." Mm -hmm. 
I said, where? Where do you learn your own? Exactly. But where are the books? They can speak the language, but there's so little information uh, that isn't biased, that isn't political, yes. that isn't propaganda. So where do you read the books that is going to set you free? You know, yes. you're going to have to read other people's book. I'm sorry to say, but uh, and then they're not going to they're not going to translate it for you. You know, you're going to have to do your own homework. So it's I'm a fan of more language, more more learning, more reading. I'm a big fan of that because. I go to a museum and I don't just go to the Khmer section. In fact, I go last to the Khmer section <laughs> because it's so old. You know, I go to other things. I go to. I love paintings. I love abstract expressionists. I want to know all about it. You know, I was just there at uh, Moscow for the Biennale, and uh, well, I didn't like it very much. But I, I went to a museum. I went to the Trotchikov, Trotchikov. And the one thing that made the trip worthwhile was seeing the Black Square by Malevich. Yeah. I stood there for a long time yeah. and my, I had goosebumps all over. I said, yeah. wow, I'm standing right in front of the things that I always see in the picture. Yeah. And I'm right here now, you know? That's the aura of authenticity. Yeah. That's yeah. the authentic yeah. uh, yeah. thing. Yeah. Who else? Yeah. Um, I was wondering, uh, your time in the US before you went back to Cambodia, did you have an experience with kind of the, the art scene there? Did you explore Western art in any way? Did it influence, influence your practice at all? Well, as I said, I studied in school, so I went to Chicago you know, for grad school. I was so far behind that um, I didn't know what I was supposed to do, but my teacher always pushed me to do things that I should have done, right? So. Uh, I went to Chicago because I was from Amherst and he said, my, one of my teachers said, New York would be too much for you. But Chicago would be a good school because there's a big body of students and you can make friends. And, but the best thing is that there's a museum just across the street and so you will see a lot of art. And um, yeah, I love reading up on artists. I'm a big fan of artists. I, I'm so much a big fan, I had to work in the library. And you wouldn't believe I take so many books out and I just spent all my time looking up other people's work and I still remember them. And uh, later on after school, I, I travel and I said, oh yes, I know this guy, I know that guy. Mm. Even though I've never seen his work before, except in the books, you know. So I was continually inspired by artists. That is one thing, mm. yeah. Mm. yeah. I just want to, I just was recently in New York and saw your exhibition at the Metropolitan Museum and I know that there are many organizations over many worked hard and worked with Cambodians and to help Cambodians. And I know mm. Cambodian Living Arts does a lot. I mean, there's artisans back all within the traditional things. Mm. Can um, people hear that? Sorry, yeah. within the traditional, you know, there's the traditional... Yes. The masters rebuilding that. Mm. Um, and the scene in Cambodia is very dynamic. I get on my Facebook page, so I really know what's going on pretty much every day. Not every day, but a lot of things, that, you mm. know, with the internet and the new information channels, three ways that people are learning very quickly and becoming very present and contemporary. But as you said, that they don't have everything behind them. It's happened quite quickly, mm -hmm. I think, that change. Mm -hmm. And I remember we had Simon Tedeschi in Cambodia and he was doing some master classes with some students in about 2005, I think. And, um, it was really interesting because he said some of them we linked up with um, Rachel with Fred from mm -hmm. and they had there was a piano and there were some people having lessons. So Simon went and did some master classes. Mm -hmm. And it was really interesting and I suppose this is sort of what's happening now. It's going very fast, mm -hmm. but, but there's nothing behind it. It's quite light mm -hmm. underneath. Mm -hmm. And 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 the students could play the music beautifully. But I was in the first meeting and he said, Oh, do you know why this was written? Mm -hmm. It was written in the time in history and mm -hmm. and I think that's sort of in a way where Cambodia's still got a lot to catch up with. Mm. Education's coming very quickly to that new generation. But if they don't want to read about historical periods, then I mean you can play Beethoven, but if you know nothing about the century or romant the romantic <coughs> movement, is that what you mean? Yeah, well that's they know to play. So yes. they were completely skilled. Yes, but, but they had, didn't have. But the that, thing is, you know, it was just interesting. I found that interesting that they were really excited to find out more about mm -hmm. what they were doing. Well, they need the opportunity. It's Cambodia does not have 
uh, the place for them to discover, to find, yeah, to learn. So, so now the young artists, they are getting opportunities to go out. And especially like New York is great. We all know that. Um, but now New York is more than just great by itself. It, it brings Cambodia to New York. It brings people to New York. And now, I mean, these students, they go to New York and they stay and they study and they stay for a couple of years now. This, this is the first time it ever happened. Yeah. And go to a real institution, go to a real city, you know, and not just go there because you escaped Cambodia, but go there to learn something in a good place. And uh, I always encourage people to just try to find a way to do that, you know, just try to find a way. And uh, the, man, the money doesn't matter. The money didn't matter at all to me. I owe so much money, it took me 10 years after grad school to, t to pay it off, yeah. I escaped it, just ran away. <laughs> because I wanted to, you know, I figured, well, I had a rough life, and uh, what are you going to do, you know? Uh, I need to learn something, you know? And, uh, and so uh, that's what I ask people to do. It's scary, but I ask people to do that. People here, do you know about this Cambodian festival in New York this year? No. I think we, you guys are also talking in a void here. Oh, because, sorry. yes, people don't know what Amrita is and what the festival was and how stuff have fitted into that. Yes. Do you want to speak about that? No, I think no. you should speak about it from your Okay, fine. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, well, it's a big, uh, it's a big uh, festival. Uh, it uh, it in, uh, includes um, a cinema, uh, uh, dance, uh, modern dance and classical dance, and the dance in between the modern and the classical, uh, rock bands, uh, uh, art residencies for a group of artists, maybe 10 or 12 uh, younger artists, and... Uh, and a couple of uh, shows, including myself. Um, and it is city-wide. It's in all the big institutions, the Metropolitan, the, uh, the Joyce Theater, the, uh, uh, the Metropolitan Opera, I think. Mm -hmm. Also the classical dance, the, 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 the Royal uh, Ballet was there. And, um, and it went on for, what, a month? Something like this? Two months? Yeah. Mm. Can I just ask whose initiative it was? Who, who put it together? It was the Cambodian Living Arts. Cambodian Living Arts, they, they team up with Amrita. These are the two main mm -hmm. arts uh, organizations in Cambodia. And uh, the director of the festival, his name is Pluen. Uh, I forget his last name. Um, Prim. Prim. Pluen uh, Prim. And he used to be the, uh, one of the co-founders of Artisan Encore who revive or rather uh, um, keep, the, keep the traditional arts, yes, um, teaching a, a young artisan to continue from uh, old masters. And uh, well, he left that organization and uh, he became uh, the director of this uh, festival and also, uh, he, I, I, yeah, it's an, 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 a bunch of other people, but these are the two uh, main ones. Sophia, who's at the Metropolitan? I mean, he's playing it down, isn't he? Yeah, he is. He's a major, uh, he's a major. You know, I got very, I got very scared. Solo exhibition in New York at the Metropolitan Museum. Let's, you know, be clear about this. It's not just he was there. He was at the Metropolitan and you, Museum. And you got scared. I got scared. Yes. You got scared. In what way? I honestly, I didn't want to be. I didn't want to be the guy. Um, uh, because it's such, I mean, it's an institution as big as any, right? Yes. And uh, I told, and you know, it's a bunch of people that works f to get me in there. It wasn't oh, just sure. like they just say, hey, Mr. Pick, wow, you're great, come on over, you know. It was a bunch <laughs> of people, it was, it was a bunch of people that says, hey, this, this, this artist is great and, 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 and it, 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 it could work, you know. So it was like, oh, maybe we can put one Buddha sculpture in, that sort of thing. And I said, oh, boy. And, um, and so it was like one sculpture to four sculpture to five sculpture to ten sculpture and then everybody was ecstatic. And uh, that was the best. Mm. To walk in there and just... Yes, I certainly um, loved your exhibition at the APT and also I've ah. seen images of the New York Metropolitan Show mm. which was wonderful. So congratulations. No, only on the internet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I wanted to ask you 
Um, we, you've talked about uh, keeping the traditional arts alive and about the contemporary art scene, but what's the attitude in Cambodia to artists who might want to depict memories of the more recent past? There was another artist exhibiting in Documenta, Avan, I've just forgotten his Vanan. name. Yes. I brought him there. Yes, yeah. so there are artists who are depicting life under the Khmer Rouge mm -hmm. uh, in Cambodia, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. how is that viewed in Cambodia? Well, the thing with art is always very tricky, right? I mean, uh, Van Nath is an extraordinary artist. You know, uh, I look up to him very highly, and uh, I, I wanted him in my, in my exhibition. I mean, I want him in my room, you know? I want his work in the room. And uh, so we worked that out somehow with the director. She loved that, too, because I took her... When she came to see me, I took her to see Van Nath and his studio. And so we discussed about that for about six months. And... Um, there isn't many artists like him, you know. There isn't many artists, you know what I mean. Um, there are people who, who, who love being an artist, who love painting and they paint, but there isn't enough of the serious stuff. I mean, Van Nath was a serious stuff. Swai Ken, you might know his work, a self-taught painter. He was a serious stuff, you know, and, and he's appreciated. So it's a, like I said, it's a tricky thing but if you do it in a way that, that, that people cannot escape, in a way, right? This is you, you are, this is what you do. Eventually, you, you get recognized or you get appreciated. Does that answer your question? Yes, thank you. Okay. We've got probably what, uh, it's 10 to. Oh. Two more questions, Max. Okay. <laughs> Anybody? Ah, we've run dry. Wow, awesome. Keep <laughs> going. I was just wondering if, um, if you think there's a, a or what the identity is you think that's being uh, of contemporary mm -hmm. Cambodia. What are the, is there something they're struggling towards is culturally, socio-politically? What, what is it that... It's a great question. Really yeah, it's a great question. I, I don't myself know it. I don't know it. I, I People ask me, so are you making Cambodian art or are you making international art. Wow. Uh, what do you think yourself? I was like, uh, yeah. Contemporary issues are issues that is not just happen. Uh, they happen because of other stuff that happened. So as an artist, how do you do? You know, how, do you, how do you make that sort of manifest in your work? Right? In any serious way. It's easy to poke something, to poke at something, to just say, oh, this guy, he's no good. Or, to say, oh, why don't he do that, or why don't he do this? But it's harder to decipher why these things happen now. And uh, it takes a lot of research. And uh, uh, so far, I haven't really seen anyone who actively trying to work in that way, where they do the research on contemporary issue, but yet go back to uh, where it started, which is a long time ago. There's a project for someone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If anybody want to take it on, it's a big, long project. It's a big project. To me, what, what, what I, I consider myself contemporary uh, and maybe towards the side of international is, is, is that, as I, I said somewhere, uh, to, to, to live in the present is to just do what you can and do it in a serious way, you know. Uh, with everything you got, basically. And uh, it's, it's a headstrong kind of attitude. It's a, it's a, it's a no-nonsense attitude. And it could bring you a lot of good things. It could bring you a lot of bad things. But you do it anyway. Um, and so that's contemporary. That's a contemporary attitude. Yeah. One last question, I think. Well, I'm going to ask a question. Erin Gleason, who's written in the catalogue, um, is an American. Donna met, where are you, Donna? Met her when she was in Cambodia a short while ago. What is Sasa Basak? What, what is it? A, 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 is it a gallery, a commercial gallery? That's a good question. Uh, I, um, Sasa Basak, um, a, a few of the guys that started Sasa Basak have gone. Uh, Two other places. Uh, one is in France. Wandi Ratana. He he lives in France uh, mm -hmm. because his uh, his wife is there, and now I think he's living in uh, Taiwan because his wife is is, uh, is in Taiwan now. Uh, she's some kind of diplomat or something. Mm -hmm. 
in fact, those kids, uh, they were my students. Uh, I started uh, uh, doing a thing called uh, Sala Arts, which was, uh, uh, I worked with Dana from Java Cafe uh, to, to form this. And I did it for free. I did it because I wanted to. And uh, I thought that I couldn't teach in school because no one would listen to me. And they didn't. The people that come from school, they all left afterward um, <laughs> in the first day. Um, but like 10 people stick around. So I formed this group where I said, look, to be an artist, in my opinion, to be an artist now, you need to talk. You need to read. You need to know what to read. You need to be given something to read. You need to see some movies. You need to listen to some music. You need to get stoned. No, I didn't do that. I, I, I didn't do that. Some of them did that, but I didn't do it. Um, I didn't do it with them. Um, you need to do things that you've never done before, you know? And uh, you need to see things from a very fresh eyes. So when you go to an exhibition, you don't just go and just kind of cloudily looking at things and then leave. Um, you go there and you look and then you discuss and you talk about it, you know? So that's what we did. We invite artists to come and talk about their work. We go to the artist exhibition and we talk. And you know, Cambodia doesn't have many great artists that have exhibitions all the time, but whatever it is, we go there and we discuss, whether it's good or bad. If it's good, we talk what's good about it. If it's bad, we talk what's bad about it. And um, by the end of the year, I think I had about six students. I don't really call them students. They were, I'm like their big brother. I guide them because they don't pay me to be a teacher. Um, but I show them Hudzok, you know, I, I play them uh, Miles Davis, you know, things like that. And, uh, and we talk about these things. And, uh, and so, but, but, but of course I do it as a volunteer, and, and, and Dana was uh, subsidizing it uh, through her cafe. Mm-hmm. And she had to rent another space, uh, and, uh, and then she got really terrified because she, she was down $15,000, and she, uh, she said, I can't do it anymore. And so uh, she folded, and, uh, and then those kids form uh, what's called a steel celapa, which is saw saw, steel celapa. In Khmer, it's uh, the letter S S. Mm-hmm. And the saw saw becomes sa sa because you spell saw saw in the French way S A S A, saw saw. So, so they formed their, their little group, and, uh, and they found a little space in this broken building called the building. Uh, it's an old building, you must know that. Uh, this building is just ready to fall down if, if they don't tear it down. Hmm? It's very hard to find it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's on the street. It used to be the neighborhood of where all the artists live, very poor. All the performing, performing artists that's actually at the, the Cambodian Living Arts started from them, from that neighborhood. Uh, the teachers were living there. I used to help them I interpret for the, all the musicians and whatnot. So I help a lot with that old music too in the beginning, but not in a thing. I just help them as a worker, I, as a communicator. But anyhow, um, then Erin uh, started to have, uh, she started to sort of make a name and have some history behind her, have some credit to her, and she went around, she, she went to Germany and the U.S. and other places, and then, and then basically she opened that uh, gallery, it wasn't too long ago, a couple, what, a couple of years ago? Yeah. And she found cheap rent and uh, renovated it for cheaply, and, and then she basically uh, showed these artists. And who subsidizes it? Mm-hmm. It's a yeah, it's uh, she. It's, it's it's hers. Yeah, it's uh, it's. it's, it's quite different, though, isn't it? It's no, very low. It's, it's like in a house, really. Isn't yes, it, it is in a house. It's not a it's not a storefront. Yeah. 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 The like sign is this big because, because they didn't want authorities to see it. Yeah. As a girl, he got a bit of space. I think he got some help to get it, you know, yeah. on the main street and you know, shop house, you know, storefront. You know, it's very hard. Just get by. Yeah, Aaron get by. I don't know how, but I mean, he, she sells a couple things here and there, and you know, her artist shows all over the world too. She's trying to help them getting yeah. different shows, and I even buy work from there, you know, from artists I like, yeah. and uh, you know, there are a lot of uh, people do a little bit, you know. There are a lot of expats too. There's quite a handful of them. National grants, that sort of thing, you know, if you've got the energy yeah. to fill out all the forms. There's, there's not really a serious gallery space. No. No. Or no. a performance space. No. Are Cambodians buying Cambodian art? No. no. Are Cambodians buying Cambodian art? No. No. Not unless it's Angkor Wat or their portraits. Yeah. But aren't there any collectors in the top, you know, that top b
they're coming up, you know, I am always surprised. I mean, someone actually spent $10,000 on my work. And I was like, wow, are you sure about that? <laughs> so is there a rising middle class in Cambodia like there is in other parts of Asia? Of course, but they have, yeah. they, they, they have very little to do with art. Right. For the moment. Later, I hope so. Yeah. Their kids, you know, get better education and, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, they, yeah. Guys, we probably have to stop this and in a minute. <laughs> yes, yes. Nick, thank you so My much. My pleasure. Thank you, Sophie. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank